Today, as you can tell from that song, we are wrapping up our sermon series, The Grave Robber, and we're concluding talking about the story of Lazarus. Uh, somebody asked me this morning when I walked in if I was going to be preaching about moms, and I was trying to find a, a way to compare the story of Lazarus with moms, and the only way I could do that was by thinking, I bet you Lazarus' mom was pretty happy that he got a second life. <laughs> Uh, But I'm really excited to wrap up this series because it's been all about miracles and God's power. And today is Jesus' swan song, his final act while he was here on earth. Uh, um, The best of the best, so to speak. Uh, But before we get into it, would you just start with me in a word of prayer? God, thank you so much for granting us this day and for all the people that you've brought here to this church. God, you are doing amazing things here and in this place. And it's just unbelievable to me. And I don't know why. Uh, You know, so often I think I doubt you. And and I I don't realize how big you really are. Um, So this morning, would you allow us to see that, God? Would you allow us to claim your power for our own in our lives? And as we look at the story of Lazarus, God, may we see ourselves in the fact that you can do the same work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In 1814, there was a guy by the name of Robert Ross. And he was the leader of the British Calvary. And he was leading his troops to the prince's palace, or what is called today, the White House. And it was there that they began to set fire to the Library of Congress. Now there's some of you in here who are book lovers who cringed a little when I said that. I think I saw Carla Biddle shed a tear. Um, But at this time, there was only 3,000 volumes of books in the library. But still, that paper was kindling for this fire. That, That was kindling for this fire. And so what they did was the Library of Congress decided that they needed to replace the library, but not just replace it, but expand it. And so they went to a guy who had the biggest um, collection of volumes for a single person, and that person was our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Now Thomas Jefferson was once quoted saying, I can't live my life without my books. Um, His tune changed a little bit when they offered him $23,950 for those books. (laughs) So money can talk, I guess. But now we see that there's 35 million books in the Library of Congress. There are countless pictures and pieces of songs and literature in this library. But today I want to talk to you about two books that we got from Thomas Jefferson's collection. The first book is a book from Geneva, Switzerland. And it was written in 1555 by a guy named Robert Esteen. Now Robert Esteen is a friend of ours. Um, How many of you guys grew up doing Bible drills? Any of you guys know what that is? Yeah, a few of you guys. When I was a kid, I hated Bible drills. I hated them. I'm glad I got an amen. Thanks, John. I couldn't stand them. But you guys need to give a lot of credit to Mr. Esteen because he had this novel idea in 1555 to write the Bible with chapters and with verses. I can't imagine doing that without them. The second book I want to talk to you about is a book called The Jefferson Bible. Now, I want you to remember here that Thomas Jefferson was a man who lived during the Enlightenment. Uh, He was a man who was heavily influenced by the Locke brothers. And the Locke brothers had enthroned reason. They had made logic their lord. And unfortunately, Thomas Jefferson did the same thing. And so what he did was he took our Bible and he looked at it as a uh, model of morality, more than a full truth book. And he removed all of the miracles. He sat down and he took his scissors out and he cut them all out. He was really busy when he got to the book of John. You know, when I thought about this idea, it almost made me angry. You know, how could somebody possibly do that? How can you look at Scripture and leave Jesus in the grave? I mean, he cut out the resurrection completely. But you see, so often we do exactly what Thomas Jefferson did. 
How many promises are in this book that we're supposed to take and claim as our own that we stop believing in? How many things in our life has God told us, promised to us, that we just tend to forget about or choose not to believe in? We have piecemealed together our own belief system, just like he did. And what happens is, is when we remove these promises, these things that God wants us to claim, we remove his power, and we end up with a Jesus who is wise, but who is weak. We end up with a Jesus who is wise, but one who is weak. We also end up with a God who looks a whole lot like you when you do that. Have you ever thought about that? When you remove the miraculous, when you choose to look at the parts of Scripture that you want to look at, your God, lowercase g, starts to look like you. He starts to reason like you. His perspective is small like yours. But that's not the God that we're called to believe in. That's not the biblical God. See, what he was doing was he was taking a knife to the gospel of Jesus, and he neutered it. And that's not the God of the Bible or the God that I choose to believe in this morning. See, I believe in a God whose mercies are new each morning. I believe in a God who believed in forgiveness so much that he sent his only begotten son to come to earth, live a perfect life, and then die for you and me. I believe in a God who is so much bigger, who in four words spoke life into the cosmos when he said, let there be light, and there was. I believe in a God who has the power to breathe life into this book that's 2,000 years old and into you and into me. I believe in a God who works miracles. That's a God that's bigger than us, guys, and bigger than Thomas Jefferson's idea of him. In 1804, Jefferson made a Bible that had no miracles in it, a miracle-less Bible that so often we do the exact same thing. Today, we're going to be in Scripture uh, in the book of John, and The book of John is filled with radical statements, filled with things that when we look at it, we go, what in the world? How can that possibly be true? And in John chapter 14, verse 12, it's not going to be on the screen, but Jesus says this crazy notion. He says, look around. You see these amazing things that I've been doing while I'm here? Well, through faith, you're going to do even greater things, even greater things. So God doesn't just call us to believe in miracles. Like we've been saying week after week, God calls you to be a part of it. He wants you to be in the mix. And I can't tell you when in your life you're going to experience a miracle or be a part of one. That's above my pay grade. But what I can promise you is that God wants you off the bench and into the game. God wants you to be someone else's miracle. He wants to use you this morning. And so I want to go to Scripture and flip over into uh, John chapter 11. We're reading the story about Lazarus. And we've seen um, all of these things happen throughout this sermon series. We've seen God... Um, heal a man who was blind from the time that he was born, which that's amazing because he was literally creating synapses between his brain and his spinal column. We saw how Jesus defied the viscosity of water as he walked across it just because he could. We saw how he took some bread and some fish and he fed thousands with some leftover. We saw how even the atoms of water would bow down to a holy God and turn into wine on his command. We saw God reverse 38 years of grief and sorrow in a single moment. We saw as Jesus healed the nobleman's son long distance just by the power of his word. And today we see the ultimate showdown, the grave robber versus the grim reaper. We see as Jesus takes back what the enemy has stolen in the story of Lazarus. So reading in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So, this, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. No, this story will not end in death. You know, we celebrate a lot of weird things here in America. Uh, We have a day for everything. We have a day for everything. And we actually have a day, believe it or not, called Punctuation Day. How many of you guys actually knew that? I didn't. I don't even know what you do for that. Do you buy an English teacher a cake or something? I'm I'm not really sure. But yeah, we have a day called Punctuation Day. And I think it's important for us to look right off the bat in this story at the punctuation of this message at the punctuation that Jesus enters into the story. I heard a quote one time that said this. It's under 140 characters. If you want to tweet it, it's great. But he said this. This quote said this. It said, never put a, go- a comma where God put a period, and never put a period where God puts a comma. You see, in this story, it would be so easy for us to say it's supposed to end in death. Lazarus is supposed to die. But Jesus says, oh no, not yet. I'm not done. When we look at our own life, how many times have we done the exact same thing? You went through a breakup in a relationship and you said, man, my life is just over. I can't go on. And Jesus said, nope, I'm not done with you just yet. Or you got yourself in a mess, in a horrible financial situation. You were drowning in bills and payments and this debt that you felt like you could not get out of. And you said, man, this is over. I don't know how I can recover from that. And and God says, nope, I'm not done with you yet. Or maybe there's been a point in your marriage or your life where you've made a horrible mistake and you feel too broken, too far gone, too messy to come back to a father or really have any relationship, especially a relationship with a holy God. And he said, no, I'm not done with you yet. Your story is not over. It doesn't end there. Don't put a period there where I've put a comma, where I have put a comma. Continuing on in the, in the message, uh, I want to move on to verse 17. In verse 17, it says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. And when I read this, I think, man, why did he wait? Why did Jesus feel like he needed to wait that long? And um, the only idea that I could come to was this. You know, sure, Jesus could have probably walked across water and got there quickly. We're sure he could have healed Lazarus long distance just by speaking truth. But he had already been there, done that. He had already done those things. We already knew that he had that kind of power. And I think Jesus pushed his fingers together, cracked his knuckles and said, let me show you what I can really do. Just wait. Oh, just wait. I mean, I think he was excited about this miracle. And so I think for us, it's important to realize that sometimes things in our life will go from bad to worse because God is trying to reveal more of his grace and more of his glory and more of what he can do in your life. That's That's what he's trying to do. You know, so often we think, man, I just can't get out of this. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And when am I ever going to catch a break? And it almost seems cynical that God would keep making you suffer. But I think Paul understood this idea. That's why it said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face suffering of many kind. Because the holy God is trying to draw us closer to him. Closer to his perfect presence. And that's the abundant life that he's promising when we know Jesus. So if you're suffering right now, know that that story is not over. 
and that God is trying to teach you something and grow you and help you know him more. He wants to know you intimately and personally. Continuing on in the scripture. Go down to verse 21. I think this is interesting uh, how, Mar- how uh, Martha words this. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You see, this is one of the most passive-aggressive statements in all of Scripture. It's basically saying, I don't blame you, but I really blame you, but I don't blame you, but I really do. (laughs) And I think Martha has some serious gall here to look at Jesus and say that. But we're passive-aggressive all the time. God, why? Why does it have to be like this? I mean, I'm not blaming you for my circumstances, but if I believe that you're sovereign, I believe that this is because of you, so why? And I think the reason we're so passive-aggressive is because we are so narrow-minded that we can't see the bigger picture. We can't see what God is trying to do in our lives. But you see, that story in the scripture doesn't end with her saying, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She continued and she said, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. You see, I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but it looks like she still has holding out hope after knowing that her brother has been dead for four days. She's still believing. I mean, I don't think denial is just a river in the uh, land of Egypt, This denial here was real. Yes, some of you are just getting that. Please just pity me. I know my jokes are corny, but just go with it. But I mean, her denial here is real. And so is she speaking these words out of of grief? I don't think she is. I think she's speaking these words out of faith. You see, so often Christians look so out of touch with reality. And the reason for that is because they are in touch with the greater reality that you can't touch. Basically, what I'm saying is they have faith beyond physical circumstances. I think we're all called to have faith bigger than our physical circumstances, bigger than the things that are going on right now in our life. You see, it wasn't her grief speaking. It was her faith. Even when it seemed like God was four days late, he was right on time, just like that song said. Just like that song said. See, the same is true in your life, guys. You might be fighting an addiction or a problem or a broken relationship or something in your life that you've been a slave to. You might be experiencing heartache and pain that you didn't even cause and you feel like you just can't escape it. Well, four days late is too soon to give up. It's too soon for you to give up. Allow God to keep being God and doing a work in you. I promise you, he will reveal his glory when he wants to. Just trust him. We aren't meant to understand. We're just meant to have faith. We're just meant to have faith. See, the the beauty of this is it's kind of Jesus putting all of his cards on the table. Because I imagine at this point in the story, if Lazarus doesn't come out of the grave, this is going to be really awkward. I mean, it's going to be like Jesus punched Martha in the gut and Mary in the gut. Like, just kidding, your brother's really not alive. It would be awful, but he risked his reputation here of being able to work miracles in order to show God's glory. And I think we can learn a lesson from that too. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he had to make that choice. Was he going to risk his whole reputation to show God's power? 
Did he really have the faith that God would work through him to bring a man back from the dead? And if Jesus can do that, I say that we can risk our reputation a whole lot more when we go out those doors with our faith and the things that we believe God will do. And who cares if it seems crazy? Normal in the Bible, the cultural normal in the Bible, that's what's crazy. I mean, we see Jesus go into the temple and start flipping over tables and people are going, holy cow, this man's a psychopath. But what's crazy about that story is that people were turning a a church into the den of thieves. That's crazy. And you see, Jesus, by the world standards, is crazy. So I want to be crazy because really that's normal. For a Christian, that is normal. That's what I want to be like. So reading on, let's jump to the miracle here in Scripture. Turn, Turn over the page to verse 43. It says this. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, come out. I think of that statement and I think each and every one of us gets that very same call. At some point in your life, Jesus is going to look at you and say, come out. Come out. See, Jesus wanted Lazarus to live a second life. I think he calls us all to live two lives. See, we have this first life that is separated from God, and and we grow up, and we try to learn moral things, and we try to figure out who we are as people and find our identity. And along the way, Jesus reveals a little bit of his glory here and a little bit of it there. and, And then you come to this point where you reach surrender, and you say, God, I need you in my life. I need you to wreck my world and change me from the inside out. And God doesn't just make improvements. He doesn't just make bad people good. He brings dead people to life. And so what he does is he takes that old life and he gives you a brand new one. A second life. You see, you're no longer your mistakes or that past, but you're a child of the king who is worthy in the sight of God. Two lives. He intended it for Lazarus and he intends it for all of us. And so I start thinking about this story of Lazarus. And I think there are two real miracles here. The first one is obvious. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. But the second one was, how in the world did Lazarus get out of that tomb? I mean, have you ever thought about that? If you know the the traditions of how a person was buried back in the day, they were wrapped in over 100 pounds of grave clothes. Uh, They had linen around their face. The idea is this image of a mummy. And so this man wasn't walking out of the tomb. So I imagine when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, you see this guy just doing one of these numbers with a thing around his face. I imagine these people who were witnessing that laughed until they died. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I think at at the next party, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, I also thought of this today on on my way in. You know, there's a lot of weird dance trends. I imagine people at parties were doing the Lazarus, you know, (laughs) for centuries. (laughs) You didn't know you were going to get that at church. (laughs) But you see here, I want to be serious here for a second. This image. (laughs) You got me. This image here is beautiful because it didn't only foreshadow the resurrection of Jesus. It foreshadowed the resurrection of each of us the new life that God has promised for each and every single one of us. 
In John, in this very same chapter, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. That's profound truth. Who can say that? Probably a man who has worked all of those miracles that we've seen in this entire series and who had just brought a man back from the dead. That's a man who can say that. I am the resurrection and the life. And we see in the scripture, Jesus looks at Martha and he asks her, do you believe? Do you believe? And we see the first profession of faith where Martha said, yes. You see, one little word can change everything. And God is calling each and every one of us out. If you're not a believer here in the house today, Jesus is calling you and saying, do you believe? Do you believe that I can do a work in your life? Do you believe that I can take the broken things in your life and give you a new life that is full and abundant and purposeful? Do you believe? Today I choose to believe in the grave robber. To believe in a God who is bigger than my ideas or my rationale or the things that I can come up with or fathom. A God who I can't over-exaggerate. Have you ever thought about that? No matter how many good words you say about God, that's still not enough. They still fall short to his glory. So this morning, would you cling to the grave robber? Would you cling to the reality that God is offering us new life? Would you look at those things that are dying in your life and hold on to hope that God is doing a work to bring you closer to him? Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we look at the story of Lazarus, we see an image of ourselves. So often we have parts of our life that are so dead and so broken. And God, we we have a tendency to lose hope, to just kind of give up, and to put that period where you want to put a comma. But God, I believe this morning that you have more for all of us in this room that you intended, just like Lazarus, for us to live two lives, one separate, but one with you, connected to you, filled by your love and your spirit and, and who you are, God. And so this morning, we cling to your promises. We choose to not remove the miraculous, but hold on to them, to believe in them, and to know that you are worthy to do them. Jesus, I ask that you would allow us to step out into faith and to take all of these stories of people in the Bible who you worked through and realize that we can be the same kind of vessels, that we can truly be someone else's miracle. God, thank you that you are so much bigger than anything we can reason or ration in our own minds. And Lord, thank you for what you did when you sent your son, your bigger plan, that someday we might have life with you in heaven. So God, I pray right now for redemption. I pray for peace. I pray for clarity. I pray that we will remember this scripture and remember that you can turn sorrow into laughter. I pray that we will remember that if there is something that is dying, in our life, you can bring things to life that usually before you add, you sometimes subtract. But at the end of the day, God, allow us to hold fast to you. 
We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.